Welcome to One Hour in the Past, a podcast series presented by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center and hosted by me, Adrian Petrie, Visitor Services Coordinator, and Kathleen Powell, Curator and Supervisor of Historical Services. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the Indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by Indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of Indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. As museum professionals, our jobs are manyfold. Managers, curators, interpreters, researchers, and much, much more. We found ourselves pining for some more interesting and perhaps wild history in our daily work. In this episode of One Hour in the Past, we're going to the mall to explore the history of shopping. <laughs> Let's go to the mall. Hopefully we won't get hit for copyright for that. Are you ready to head down the rabbit hole and see where One Hour in the Past has taken us? So, Kathy, as we usually start our episodes with yes. a definition, yours truly has come with two definitions because I liked the second one better than the first one that I wrote down. So, uh, shopping is defined as the action or activity of purchasing goods from stores. But that's lame. So, here's the second one. <laughs> the action or activity in which a customer browses the available goods or services presented by one or more retailers with the potential intent to purchase a suitable selection of them. So, a bunch more vowels in that one, which are, it's much more, or not vowels, <laughs> verbs, <laughs> a bunch of verbs in that one that are, that, that more, uh, in, in my opinion, accur accur accurately reflect the experience of shopping. Um, so browsing presented to yeah. them. So it suggests a lot. There's a lot more going on than just sort of walking through a store. Walking through a store. There's actually decision making going on on the customer's part. There's a relationship between the retailer and the customer. Yeah. There's retail stuff going on. There's a whole bunch of psychology, which I don't know if you found as much as I did. But um, as we usually start, we should say exactly where we ended up at the end of our research, and then we'll go back and find out how we got there. Right. You want me to start? You tell me where you ended up, and I'll tell you where I ended up, and then I think I'll, go, I think I'll start, because I think last time you went first. That's possible. <laughs> um, well, I ended up, sadly, I ended up kind of halfway through a really cool thread that I was stuck within, but the time just stopped me. The timer went, yeah. Um, but I did end up with 10... Alternate uses for the Eaton's catalog. Ooh, wow. Yeah, yeah. so that was pretty cool. They had, there's an excellent article on the Library and Archives Canada website about the Eaton's catalog, and it was uh, that was where I ended up right at the very end. So I think the first thing that everyone's going to notice, first, we just a reminder, we only have one hour to do our research. It's not about the length of the podcast. We could have an eight-hour podcast on our one-hour research. Right. Um, so that's why, you know, Kathy, Kathy didn't have enough time to keep going. And also, shopping is such a broad topic. It's a ridiculously broad topic that we're not going to do this, this justice in this podcast with oh, this one hour. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. we might have to come back to shopping another season or We could do a time. different kind of shopping Yeah, we might have time. to be more specific yeah, next I time. Yeah, think so. Might deserve another episode uh, of One Hour in the Past. Uh, I ended up with <laughs> you're gonna laugh i ended up 
looking at aircraft landing gear. Cool. <laughs> at the, at That's the weird, time, but okay. aircraft landing gear. <laughs> and so, how did I get there? Well, I started with a general um, history, I guess, of shopping. And I think that the biggest thing about the definition is that it led me to believing that because you are, it's an action or an activity, that there must be a location involved with that. So you have to kind of go out to shop. Uh, we usually, not anymore, but in the history of shopping, you probably go out to go somewhere to shop. So where are those locations, right? In Roman times, you went to the Forum. <laughs> but I found well, out that... you went way back further than I did. <laughs> oh, yeah, way, 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 way back. <laughs> but I found out that the Forum actually wasn't for everyone. It was really just for the peasantry. And if you were rich enough, you would have merchants just come to your house. Right, you didn't have so, to do the, any of this, and, which lowering makes yourself to go total shopping. Total sense, yeah. And, like, it probably would have been dirty and, you know... Um, hot hot yeah gross so that led me to the my a uh, question that I actually wrote down for the podcast was where is your favorite place to go shopping where's oh, your favorite place like to go shopping yeah yeah oh, I'm asking that question. Oh, and actually listeners can also tell us where their favorite place to go shopping is through our social media channels all right oh my gosh my favorite place to go shopping it doesn't have to necessarily be a brand here. but maybe like a, a place like is it a grocery store Oh, no. Or is it the mall? I hate shopping at the grocery store. Yeah. A lot of people actually hate shopping in general. I'm not a huge shopper. Yeah. I like the quick in and out shop where yeah. you know what you want to shop ahead of time for okay. and you just go like in to the stores that you know sell those things and get those things and get right out. You're not really a walk around the mall not for hours and hours? Not particularly. I would rather not. Retailers don't like you. <laughs> no, it's true. I'm not a good target audience. I want to say my favorite kind of store to shop in is either uh, a bookstore or a museum Ooh, shop. A bookstore. I totally forgot about yeah. bookstores. I do love bookstores so, um, yeah. and then I love museum shops because right. they're very eclectic so and really interesting more. and I don't even say that because I'm trying to encourage people <laughs> to shop here but I'm saying that because I literally do love museum shops. Yeah. My favorite place to shop, I'm not going to lie, is a furniture store in which you... <laughs> can go and walk around (laughs) and see a variety of products uh, in immersive displays. And I think that's really the key is the immersive immersive display for me. And sort of try them out and see what they look like. And the store is kind of set up in a maze, so there's a bit of an adventure involved. (laughs) I don't actually do that for shopping. Usually when I go to that store to get something, I know what I'm getting already. I'm just doing that for the fun part. Right. So in terms of shopping, I think I don't like shopping, actually. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, Based it's on the hard definition, to... it's a tough one. Yeah. If the definition is that it's yeah. a place that's set up for you to browse. Yeah, yeah. it's true. What I, I guess... do might not be considered shopping. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I agree with you. I really like bookstores. Usually they're quiet. I think that might be key. Yeah. Because my least favorite place to go, whether shopping or not shopping is a particular store in which you need a membership to enter. And I'm not going to say that one, but it's big, and there's just too many people for me. So, again, it's an experience-based thing. Anyway, back back to our our research here. So, um, But it's important, this is a good segue, actually, because we're talking about experience, and shopping actually became a pastime in the 18th century. Uh, Retail then exploded in the 19th century because of Industrial Revolution and the availability of mass-produced items. And that's when the department store comes along, which I don't really want to get into because it sounds like you ended up 
with Eaton's. I did talk. I did bit. do a little bit of research so about I, that. So if you wait and we can, talk I will about skip it that. Then. Uh, I did get to shopping lists, oh, which was kind of interesting. Shopping lists are usually this is like basics. Everybody knows this, right? But shopping lists are used mainly for groceries and errands, and less about getting what you need rather than the the pleasurable experience of the shopping trip. Um, so it's more about the essentials, and that's why a lot of clothing retailers don't like retailers don't like lists because if it's on your list, you might not buy extra things, right? right. But Although, then, do you, when you let me tell, well, ask you quite yeah. an honest question: yeah. When you go grocery shopping, do you make a list oh, yeah. every hold time? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, okay. yes, I, I do, <laughs> I do. Okay, uh, or at least that the list that I made last time is still in my head, right? And I am a creature of routine so I kind of get the exact same thing every single time apparently remembering a shopping list is a standard experiment in psychology really I didn't know which that which kind of makes sense it's like kind of a basic kind of thing if you can remember your shopping list like me then you're okay um, uh, I guess be in trouble <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think it's like different order functions of, of memory and stuff like that which is kind of neat uh, there's some stats that go along with shopping lists. 40% of shoppers use lists, including this guy right here. <laughs> 80% of list items are purchased. So there's 20% on the list that didn't get purchased. But only account, list items only actually account for 40% of the items that See, you purchase. See, so people are still buying stuff in so the people end. Because they're like, is, oh, I forgot that off my list. Absolutely. You forgot it off your list, but you saw it because of the ca- the cash outline racks or maybe the end of the aisle racks or maybe the you know when they have um if they have sale let's say they have sale on like ribs they'll put all the barbecue sauce just above the ribs and so that's the super actually super 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 important for beating the list retails retailers beating the list is is those accompanying items um hopefully on sale because then they'll clear more as well so the the those are really important for for beating the list. Do you keep a list? Um, I have done shopping lists at different occasions, but I don't regularly do a shopping list. So if you are, let's say, if you're going to be making cookies, I will general sometimes make a list, like for some, like always. a specific project. Yeah. But if you're just doing your weekly shopping. Well, I'm one of those shoppers. I was going to ask you this on your thing, but you may get to it eventually. I'm a shopper that shops the whole store. I actually don't shop based on my list. I actually zigzag through every single aisle of the store. Sometimes I have a list, sometimes I don't. But as I'm going through the list, I'm not buying stuff like from top to bottom of the list. I'm zigzagging through the store and checking off the list as I go. And then if I see something I need, then I add to my... So retailers love... Well, grocery yeah. grocery retailers love you because the stores are designed yes. to get you to buy more because of that. So they'll put all that stuff on the outside and then the zigzag yeah. in the middle. I also do the entire store, but I only get what's on my list. I think I'm just, again, a creature of routine and habit. Like, one, I need to get my steps in, so I might as well just do the walk. <laughs> but I don't want to miss anything. I might not write my list in order. I Because I know that they're trying to sell me stuff, I fight against that. And I say, no, I'm not buying that, whatever, on sale, unless it's on my list. <laughs> and if something is usually on sale and it's on my list and it's not on sale, I'm not buying it. Oh. And I'll come back for it later. Like an, on another day. Yeah, because I'm... I know they're trying to get me. <laughs> I have it's not psychoanalyzed the, the, uh, <laughs> the retail environment that I'm in. Although I did find that I, it was better to have a list when I was shopping with my kids when they were little. Mm. Because we yeah. could totally get off the list so quickly. Yeah. 
um, and to stick to the Instead list. Instead of two hands, you've got six hands. Well, yeah, plus right. you've got, I want this and I would like yes. this. And, hey, should we buy this and this cereal or whatever? So having a list was like, oh, no, it's not on the list. We're not getting that. So What strategy did your kids employ in getting things into the cart that weren't on the list? Uh, sometimes they would just put them in the cart. Uh, that was sometimes my strategy. they would just <laughs> say, hey, let's get this. This would be awesome. And then they'd try to make the case for it. So yeah. it would be. I, a, didn't, I didn't even try the sales pitch. I just put it underneath something in the cart <laughs> and hoping that when we got to the checkout line, my mom wouldn't notice. My, my, my research really did stick to uh, grocery stores. I think I got kind of, once I got to shopping lists, it was really about the grocery store. Spent a lot of time learning about shopping carts. Yeah, I didn't expect, I really didn't expect to look at shopping carts, but then uh, just this sort of grocery shopping experience is really based around your shopping cart. If it's you true. get a bad cart... It's the worst. It's... One, if it's a noisy or squeaky wheel, other people are looking at you. Like, you're not just ruining your experience. You're ruining other people's experiences. Have you ever gone back to get a new cart? Yes, I have. Really? When you get a cart where you have, like, one wheel that's, like, whacked out and it's spinning in weird directions. I researched it. Um, and then, or sometimes if you have a wheel that's stuck and you can't turn the corner. So you have to, like, you know, physically jar your cart all the way over to get it yes, to work. that's right. So, yes, I have gone back. The name for that... Uh, weebly wobble um, is either shimmy or speed wobble, but we'll yeah. get there. So the first shopping cart was developed by Sylvan Goldman in Oklahoma in and was introduced in June fourth on June fourth, nineteen thirty seven. Wow, that's, that's a long of course there time were ago. there were baskets. Yeah, there were baby buggies. There were, but like they hadn't put wheels. To baskets yet right. and his problem was really they wanted to figure out how he could get shoppers to move more goods yeah so that's the problem that sylvan goldman had at his humpty dumpty market in oklahoma nice. so he he started out his uh sort of his uh, idea by putting a basket on a chair a folding chair and then attaching wheels to the chair Wow, and that's like over the top, your, seriously. Your push around. Yeah, 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 exactly. For something that well, we think is idea. so simple, right? Yeah, yeah. It was called a folding basket carrier. And I guess the basket folded instead of what we kind of know today. And it became a, a major part of retail uh, after that and was mass produced pretty easily. Unfortunately, it didn't catch on right away. He had to hire models to walk around his store to encourage youths because <laughs> men thought that it was effeminate because it reminded... And, and women thought that it reminded them of their baby, baby buggies, buggy. right? And a lot of women said, I pushed around a baby buggy long enough. I'm not going to do it around the store. And men, basically the same thing. Like, I'm a man. I'm not going to push around a baby buggy, right? So he had to put some extra marketing work into <laughs> making them useful. Because, again, like, the more goods you can move, the more money you make. So it was important for him. He actually had greeters that would set you up. Nice. And get you started, explain how it works, and then put them away for you after. Smart. Awesome. But then Orla Watson, another person in the 1940s, she uh, invented the telescoping carts that nest into each other. Yeah, so smart. So that's really the, the Take up key. so much less space. They also had a huge patent fight. I'm sure. Which I was like, whatever, I don't care about this. But <laughs> it was like really complicated and back and forth. Well, but the, there's probably lots of money in shopping carts now. Oh, totally. Totally. Absolutely. But the cool thing is that carts are basically unchanged since that time. So since the 1940s. Um, now, there is an award for the most annoying shopping cart. 
and I it's an award that I just invented. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes to that store that I was talking about earlier, my favorite shopping experience, that, that furniture store that uh, and home sort of decor store that uh, is a maze. That's because their shopping carts have four wheels that all swivel. Meaning that you're you can't control it you in put any your way. you can't control it in any way. Most people give their kids the shopping cart at any at a lot of stores. At this store in particular, it seems only children are driving <laughs> these carts, and you can I have a hard time making corners because you there's no sort of anchor swivel anchor for you at the back yeah. with four wheels that swivel. That's why that store gets the most annoying i like that store but they have the most annoying shopping carts and it's actually a lot of work if they're listening there are a number of different names for shopping carts believe it or not we call it here a shopping cart in canada and the usa some people call it a basket which is weird because then we actually also have shopping baskets, baskets. in michigan pennsylvania and some parts of canada it is called a buggy trolley is used in the uk australia new zealand south Africa carriage is used in New England. Trundler Weird. is also used in New Zealand. I have to use my Scottish accent for the next ones. Barret and Coohudder. Coohudder is used in Scotland. Wow. Anyway, the key thing about the shopping carts are the swivel casters. And here we're approaching the end of my research. Um, so swivel casters, believe it or not, are undriven wheels designed to be attached to larger objects. Right. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? There's a bunch of different types of uh, casters, though. There's rigid casters, which that one store needs more of. Uh, swivel casters, where they turn. Breaking and locking casters, which are really handy for things like our exhibit cases where they have little locks yeah. on them so that things don't move. Kingpinless casters, which are basically a ball bearing situation. So you don't have the kingpin in the middle. Right. And apparently that's a really good solution for shimmying and okay. uh, speed wobbles because I guess the, the main problem of caster flutter... <laughs> caster flutter happens uh, when... Oscillation occurs at a specific speed. Usually it happens at speed and varied friction levels. So if you don't have enough, you'll notice, if you don't have enough weight on the caster, it'll maybe it's just touching and so it hits every yeah. once in a while. And the, the oscillation uh, also could be associated with a wear on the wheel itself. And that happens more on like things like, uh, like rubber wheels. It's a bit of a complicated situation <laughs> shimmying and speed wobble actually can happen with any sort of wheel but usually it's usually solved by some sort of dampening system wheelchairs actually have a dampening system because it's a safety thing cars the the body of the car and also it being a four-wheel vehicle the yeah, physics of it helps so it to not do that right but it's very very common in shopping carts and aircraft landing gear oh which I guess don't have as... I don't want to know that. Don't, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess speed wobble isn't the worst for... Sure. Thing. I guess, I, I guess, I guess that would be bad. I guess on the ground. But uh, I guess like it's solved... It's, anyway, that problem is solved by a dampening system, which we're not going to spend money on right. shopping carts, or shopping carts would cost a billion dollars to, to do. So. Yeah, that's true. So that's where I ended up. Thank wow. you very much for listening to my... Uh, shopping carts. talk about... That's pretty crazy. Shop, shopping carts. Yeah. It was a good time. I love a good shopping cart, and I do not like a bad shopping cart. So, yeah, it can really change your experience. It definitely can. Yeah. 
Yeah. Also, wash your hands when before and after you use yeah. shop records. It's I just... didn't. I I briefly saw something about that. I'm like, nope. I'm not getting into the germs <laughs> the of it because that all. would be bad. Yeah. So where did you end up? So I started out with looking for the history of shopping and where did shopping come from. I didn't go as far back as you did, though, because the history of shopping I found was uh, more a North American history of Mm. shopping, uh, mostly the United States. But then I ended up on Canadian history of shopping because I got on a tangent about catalogs. I started out with, it was talking a little bit about internet shopping, which I'll come back to, but uh, this article about the history of shopping spoke of four kind of upheavals in the shopping history of North America, most specifically the United States, but it totally fits with Canada as well. And so in retail in uh, North America, there were four time periods, roughly. One of them was the emergence of the catalog, which um, actually there were catalogs in Canada early, early on. So I'm going to kind of go on a little bit of a tangent. I went off on a tangent to the catalog at some point. Timothy Eaton was the first Canadian catalog, uh, which started in 1884. uh, And he produced this catalog. It was 32 pages. It was on pink paper. And he handed it out to visitors to the Industrial Exhibition, which now we would know as the CNE, the Canadian National Exhibition. But at that point, he handed it out to these, these things. And... Eaton's was the very first mail order catalog distributed by a Canadian store. There were other mail order catalogs in the United States and stuff like that. But Sears Roebuck was kind of the big catalog in the United States, and they uh, had their first catalog around the turn of the century. And their idea was that it eliminated the need for you to drive into the city when the population was very rural, people lived on farms. That's when I thought the the purpose and the success of the... A catalog was less about advertising and more about getting your product in front of people. It who was can't totally about that. Make it to the store, yeah. right? And it's funny you say that because the in the article about the Eaton's catalog, the key to the success of the Eaton's catalog was the mailing list. Right. And they had like their mailing list was a big deal, and they actually offered. Customers who are existing, you'd get a gift if you could sh- if you would share your friends and family's name and address with them oh. to so that they could mail the catalog to these people. Today. One yeah. example was a woman who got a fur coat for sh- for sharing all of her family and friends' mailing lists wow. or addresses for their mailing list. So addresses were the key. And by we'll go on to the Canadian side of things here. By uh, 1896. Eaton's mail order department was sending out 135,000 parcels by post, by regular mail, and 74,000 by express in 1896. That's how well used the Eaton's catalog was in Canada. And then that was mostly English Canada. French catalogs in Canada started around 1911. But in the States, there were catalogs around that same time period. And it was really about getting things to people in the places. In Canada, the Eaton's catalog started out with just clothing, mostly women's clothing, a little bit of men's clothing, and then it kind of expanded from there. In the States, the Sears Roebuck catalog also had clothing, but it also had dry goods, tools, patent medicines, whatever you wanted to buy, essentially. I've seen reproductions of British catalogs from earlier, even around the, the middle of the 19th century, and they had everything. 
everything in there. Like you could buy the sink for your bathroom right. in there, <laughs> or you could buy silverware or clothing or fur coats or whatever you wanted yeah, to buy. Yeah, and again, in that in that way, the catalog was important because you're getting your product in front of people, not necessarily an advertisement. Whereas today, right. I find because I live in the city, a catalog is just another piece of advertising thrown at yeah. me. Because I can just go to the store and look, but I guess if you're not close, then... Yeah. Yeah. And then the original catalog actually didn't have any pictures. It was just descriptions of stuff. Right. The, the Eaton's one. And a lot of the pictures in the 19th century catalogs were not peopled anyway. They were just pictures of objects. So you could take a look at what you wanted, or you had to follow the description. Uh, interestingly, Eaton's also had a huge, huge personal shopping department. Oh. So if you didn't find what you wanted in the catalog, you could actually send them a letter describing what you wanted and the personal shopper would find it for you and send it to you. No way. So it could even be like if they didn't have a shoe that looked like it fit it was what you wanted, you could like outline the the trace the outline of your foot, send them that piece of paper with your foot outline on it and say I need a shoe that is matches this description, needs to fit this foot. And they would That's awesome. send their personal shopper. And the personal shopping section was so popular that people would send thank you notes to their personal shopper right. and gift baskets and stuff like that wow. for this. So the personal shopping thing was actually incredibly popular, as well as the catalog, until uh, it actually got out of hand. There were so many people wanting to buy stuff through the personal shopper, they just was unsustainable. Oh, okay. I was going to ask the, if there was a fee... I'm sure there was. Yeah. I didn't come across that. Just but like everybody wanted to do it, so they just couldn't handle yeah. the business. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Because everybody wants customized at some right. point, right? Yeah. So that was really interesting. Yeah. And the Eaton's catalog continued in Canada until the 1970s. Wow. Actually, you can still... even I want to say it went even later than that in my mind, but maybe right. it was the late 70s. I remember... Well, I guess it wasn't Eaton's. It would have been the Sears book. Sears, but uh, yeah. I remember going through the Sears Christmas wish book. Wish book, totally. Into the my only way I, <laughs> The only way I got any presents was picking what I wanted out of the wish book, which was kind of a complicated situation in the uh, maintaining the Santa uh, story. And also, <laughs> like, watching my mother pick up the phone to call Sears right. and place the order. There was, uh, there was actually a Sears... Um, like, I don't know, pick a point, I guess, uh, in our town. So yeah. we didn't oh, yeah. even have to go all the way into the city. We uh, we actually had that. Yeah, account. most of those catalogs had, I recall that too. I re- remember uh, Eaton's and Sears and all of these having a place where you could go pick up your packages locally rather than yeah. having to, uh, to. And that is the appeal of the catalog, and it has been the appeal of the catalog in Canada, especially because we have so many rural areas. Yeah. And I would suspect that uh, there's still people that are shopping remotely in yeah. rural areas all over Canada um, because they just don't have those stores in their Yeah, you're not going to drive 10 anymore, hours for... for their town. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it exactly. It was so much trouble to go into the city. Yeah. So the second upheaval is basically the opposite of that. So as people started to move into the cities during industrialization, because people were moving into the cities to take factory jobs, they were closer to shopping essentially they were closer to stores and it wasn't as much trouble to go shopping and downtowns Ah. started to grow and as part of the growth of a downtown was the growth of department stores Mm. and so for us we would be used to eaton's or sears or the bay 
for department stores in Canada, um, but most people would recognize Macy's yes. and Gimbel's, especially if you've seen that great uh, Miracle on, uh, what is it, Miracle on 34th Street yes. uh, yeah. movie. It was all about the Macy's and Gimbel's competition at Christmas time. Um, but that was like the quintessential department store really early mm-hmm. opened in 1902 and Macy's opened in 1902 in Manhattan mm-hmm. um, and essentially department stores just provided more room for merchandise and more comfort for buyers so when you came there there were places to sit down you could buy everything all in one store um, and, and uh, again I think we see like the beginning of that experience part yes right you're not just there to get your stuff well, I, get, I think you're there to get your stuff, but you are still, but you you can be comfortable while you're doing. For sure, it. and lots of them had restaurants yeah. in them, and yeah. uh, you know, you your husband could go shop on the in the men's level while you were shopping in the women's level if you were uh, that kind of family, or you know, you, it was just a lot yeah. all in once. It, the whole idea of is it under one roof, many shops. So it was kind of like the idea of the downtown, but all put into one store. That's right. Um, but even still, those department stores, which we're not really familiar today, there's not a lot that exists left, were downtown. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It was all part of the downtown experience. Still, the, We're still in the downtown yes, core right, right now, yeah, yeah. Uh, up until the end of the Second World mm-hmm. War. And so then, that particular yes. style of department store is is actually part of an experience. Like, it's uh, at Macy's, it's, like, nostalgic. You know, you yeah. have the nice old elevators. And like, like, you know... Um, they were always beautiful, and they always That's have beautiful right. windows yes. for people to go and look at. The, like, the window would draw you in to yes. start with. Yeah. And uh, even places that still have department stores with beautiful windows usually will draw you in. Like, there still are a couple of department stores, right. like, in malls now, but and they have lots of times on the outside if it's on a streetscape It'll That's have right. a walking streetscape. The Eaton Center is a great example of that. They do have That's some right. windows, and those yeah. windows could draw you into that department store potentially. Yeah. The Second World War, at the end of the Second World War, that, that kind of changed it all. People had a bit more money after the Second World War. It was a good time uh, and wanted to live in open space, and people moved to the suburbs and the advent of the car. And with all of that... They wanted shopping where they lived. And so shopping started to decentralize and move out into the suburbs and kind of became a little bit cookie cutter, but people didn't mind driving to where they needed to go to go shopping because everyone wanted to drive. Unless it was downtown. They didn't want to drive downtown. Yeah, no, that's true. (laughs) They'll drive anywhere, but not downtown. But you didn't live in the city anymore. You were living kind of in the the country, but it wasn't really the country because you're still in the suburbs. That's right? right, yeah. Um, and so shopping malls sprung up. We, in, if you take a look at St. Catharines as an example, mm-hmm. uh, we came to that just slightly later than the end of the Second World War. It was in the 1970s that we started to kind of suburbanize our shopping here in St. Catharines. Uh, and it was really because we had better roads. Uh, and so in Ontario, those roads, the QEW was built. So that's part of it. And so that moved people into areas they wouldn't have moved originally Mm -hmm. but in St. Catharines when the 406 was built uh, that really suburbanized shopping and the Penn Center was built and the Pendale which was kind of like a strip mall across from the Penn Center uh, and Ridley Square where 4th Avenue is now uh, in that area and it was really because there were better roads to those places and the 406 kind of created that 
that better roads, but also the North End had its own little shopping right. experiences and every little kind of section of the city that was like a not the downtown started to have its own shopping. And that is really kind of the the death knell for right. the downtown at that particular point. That's right. Um, people didn't want to drive into into the city, mm-hmm. as you would call it, although you really hadn't left the city yeah. in St. Especially Catharines today. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Um, but if you've seen pictures of when they were building the Penn Center, there was nothing out there. That's right. So it yeah. was kind of like suburbia back in those days. Yeah. Um, the downtown kind of depleted quite a bit at that point. Uh, and then, of course, no surprise, the last great upheaval in U.S. North American retail is uh, online shopping. And in 1994, when Jeff Bezos started Amazon, that was kind of the big, the big move for online shopping. And actually, there was some interesting uh, um, stuff I found about that. Apparently, these ginormous warehouses are called fulfillment centers. If you've ever ordered anything from Amazon, their oh, yeah. delivery times are amazing. Because of that? And it's because of those yeah. centers. And really, that's the kind of uh, the big change in in shopping now is that people can do it from home they don't have to go anywhere and it comes to your house quickly even the mail order that you could get from the catalog it almost feels like we're going back to that a little ways because the mail order from the catalog was actually pretty quick when they were ordering from the Eaton's catalog you could get it within a couple weeks which is pretty quick for that time that time period when you're sometimes going by horse and buggy to get (laughs) to somebody's house. Or boat or train. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The original start of this article actually had a fact that said that by this Credit Suisse bank said that by 2022, they figure that 25% of shopping malls will fold in the United States due mainly to online shopping and changing shopping habits. They say right now, this article was written in 2018, that uh, Amazon had 43% of online sales. Uh, and the whole uh, kind of ethos behind online shopping is the mall was all ab- the mall and the department stores were all about conspicuous consumption and showing off what you had, right. whereas online shopping is about continuous consumption. Right. So being able to get whatever you want whenever you want it all the time. It's just like you can skip the dishes and order things to come to your right. house. You can uh, have someone deliver anything basically to your house through uh, Uber or any of those kind of uh, services will just literally go to the, the corner store, pick up what you need and bring it to your house. You can consum- consume all the time. What a shift because I like how it was performative. You had to be seen at the mall or the restaurant yeah, or wherever. Yeah, and, now yeah. It's like, and you used to dress up can, to go to the mall. Yeah. <laughs> now you can just hide. You go to the grocery store in your jogging pants and... <laughs> I do not. <laughs> no, but some people oh, do some now, people right? Do. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, there are some stores, which will remain nameless, that potentially you go there and people look like they've just got out of bed yeah. and they're still in their pajamas when they're shopping, which yes. I will not do. Pajama shopping is not uh, something I condone. So anyway... <laughs> I actually got on a little tangent at this point. You mean point. shopping in your pajamas? Yeah. You're okay with shopping for pajamas? Yes, I actually do like shopping for pajamas. Yes, that's true. Uh, I got on a little shopping tangent at this point because I got onto a site that talked about Sunday shopping. Oh, yes. So I remember in the 1980s when Sunday shopping was uh, all controversial mm-hmm. about Sunday shopping. And that was in April 1985. There was a, a Supreme Court case called the Big M Drug Case. And uh, at that 
point, the Supreme Court struck down the Lord's Day Act, uh, which was legislation that uh, said the stores had to be closed on Sundays. They struck it down on the grounds that it contravened to the freedom of religion and conscience provision of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So I remember that. It was really, uh, um, you know, there was a lot of yay or nay on the side of shop or don't shop on Sundays. We need the day off, whatever. I didn't realize at the time that it actually was three court cases that kind of created this whole situation where it didn't matter what day you were, you were closed. So prior to the, um, that act, uh, you couldn't have transact any business on Sundays, apparently. Mm-hmm. And that legislation actually went back like hundreds of years to England. Right. No shopping, no, legis- no uh, business transactions on, on Sundays. The Lord's Day. But then this Charter of Rights and Freedoms thing was all about, well, what if I don't practice any religion? Why do I have to be forced to, to practice this religious day, essentially? So that was the first. There were three parts of, the legis- of legislation that needed to be dealt with in order to get shopping whenever you wanted. So that was the federal side of it. In the province of Ontario, there was a case in 1986 called the Edward Brooks case, uh, and it fought the Ontario Retail Business Holiday Act, although the court did uphold that legislation, but it was a fight about it. Uh, And then in 1988, the Alberta government dealt with Mm. the idea of equal protection, this equal protection doctrine in the London drugs case. Anyway, what it all comes down to is that that you should, people were entitled to do a day off, but they didn't need to be entitled to Sunday off based on religion. Right. In the end, that's what it all came down to. And as long as people were getting a day off, it didn't really matter what day it was. So that kind of opened the door for businesses to be able to be open because as long as you gave your employees a day off, it didn't have to be a religious day off. Yeah. So, uh, But there was federal, um, provincial, and municipal legislation that all went through. Oh, uh, wow. The third one, the Alberta one, was municipal legislation. They were wow. fighting a municipal bylaw. So it took a few years to actually yeah. get that change. Anyway, it's so... It's interesting. Yeah. And so I was on that tangent. I'm like, oh, and i got to go back. So I went back to the Eaton's uh, catalog thing, which I've mostly covered. But uh, I did think that <laughs> the very last thing which I said I ended up with was, which I think is a great end to this, is the top ten uses for mail order catalogs other than buying stuff. Really? <laughs> so... Uh, little girls searched the pages for figures to cut out to make paper dolls. Okay. And then they'd try on try to find outfits that would fit those figures. Um, I love paper dolls, and so I totally would have been into that. Pictures cut from old catalogs could be used for school projects or to decorate scrapbooks. Oh my god, I totally did that when I was a kid. Man, I feel like I'm really old now. <laughs> <laughs> this one I had hadn't ever thought of. Boys would strap a catalog to each shin to make goalie pads when uh, playing sure. hockey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, teachers in many one-room schoolhouses used the catalogs to teach children to read. Interesting. Sometimes it was the only book they had to read. Right. Uh, catalogs were also cut up to create alphabet books. That's a cool idea. Yep. Uh, some adult immigrants who couldn't speak English used the catalog to teach themselves words. That's pretty cool. Which is good, because the picture's right there. Yeah, exactly. So they studied the picture, and uh, uh, it helped to to, uh, increase their vocabulary, but also learned how to spell. Women used catalogs to learn the latest fashion, and many cut out patterns 
uh, from newspapers and sewed their clothes based on illustrations from the catalogs. Right. So if you were also, if you were half decent at making a pattern or making over old clothing, you can make them look like the pictures in the catalogs. Same with fashion magazines, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, pictures were cut from the catalogs to use homes to decorate homesteaders' walls. <laughs> okay. Um, pages could be torn out, crumpled up, and used as insulation to fill in drafty cracks in cabin walls. And you know we've come across this before. For sure, but not as kindling and fire because, well, maybe old, old catalogs on newsprint. But uh, like this year's catalog, I learned very early. <laughs> it doesn't burn very well. It doesn't burn very well. <laughs> no, but we've had people who have said they've been renovating their house. Yes. And in the walls, they've found crumpled up newspapers right. or crumpled up uh, catalogs, which is uh, course, super yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, for people living in isolated rural areas, catalogs provided a cultural link to the outside world, so you knew what was going on. Oh, they're wearing um, pink this year. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it yeah. helped you with trends and fashion, home furnishings. Yeah. It was just a catalog, something that you could use for conversation. That's like, right. I don't know about you, but I remember when the wish book used to come out, my friends and I would sit down and look at it, and we would talk about what the new... I wasn't a homesteader, obviously, but talk about the newest... <laughs> toys or whatever and then last you're gonna love and you probably will have guessed by this point and then there was the catalog's final destination out to the outhouse (laughs) where it was used to decorate the walls for reading material and finally as toilet paper (laughs) that's really funny that never happened in my house the opposite actually happened we would keep catalogs not only the wish book but all the catalogs for all time forever i bet you they're still in the cupboard (laughs) they do not get used my grandmother also who was very short uh used catalogs on her car seat oh yes oh i've seen that when i was like when we were kids used with the either the phone book or the catalog on your chair to sit you up higher at the table before they had those little booster seats that kids could buy now yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. so that's where my research took me amazing uh, alternative uses for catalogs. That's great. <laughs> what a rabbit hole. rabbit hole with us make sure to subscribe to one hour in the past and the museum's other podcast museum chat live on soundcloud or itunes so you don't miss an episode also we're always looking for ideas to spend one hour in the past researching if you have a topic you'd like to see us tackle connect with us at www.facebook.com slash st Catharines museum or on twitter and instagram 
at STC Museum. We're so looking forward to chatting with you all again on our next episode of One Hour in the Past. One Hour in the Past is produced by us, Kathleen Powell and Adrian Petrie, and brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre and the City of St. Catharines.